And to be on the safe side, this week's show is being played behind closed doors. It's the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio, and my latest guest was pushed off a cliff and died. It's Barry from EastEnders, Sean Williamson. He's not just an actor, he's also a singer, a cabaret star, Britain's most successful celebrity quiz show contestant. He's also a writer and has written a great radio murder mystery, which is now a podcast called Eden's End. Here's a bit of it. Why are you building a fence through the pub? Tis the first week of September, Doctor. This is a quiet village, as you've already discovered. Nothing much happens until the first week of September. Come this side of the fence, please. That is now the Pickers Bar. The Pickers? The Londoners. A fence? Surely they're not that bad. (laughs) Surely. Eden's End, great podcast from Sean Williamson. You'll meet Sean soon. And if you want to hear Eden's End, lunchtimes, noon, uh, weekdays, right here on Podcast Radio. Let's get into the chart now. And at number 20, it's Today in Focus from The Guardian, the podcast that brings you closer to Guardian journalism. It'll take you behind the headlines for a deeper understanding of the news every weekday. At 19, Case File, True Crime. Fact is scarier than fiction. Back to the chart in a bit. Right now, I want to check in on Zoom with a fan of the show, Martin here. He listens every week in Stuttgart, Germany. Hey, Martin, I heard that in Germany, radio and TV commercials are voiced by the German actors who are the dubbed voices of American and British actors in films and TV shows. That must sound a bit weird. So there's this one guy, and he's the German voice of Michael Caine. And he's <laughs> right. in a beer commercial. And that is just <laughs> right. really strange because you always have the image of Michael Caine in your head. There's another one, Anik, for a big supermarket chain. And he's the German voice of Bruce Willis. And right. If you hear like Bruce Willis talking about cucumbers for 99 cents or that sort of thing. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> It's the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack, counting down the top 20 podcasts right now based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number 18, Catherine Ryan telling everybody everything. The comedian Catherine Ryan, she can't help telling everybody everything. Candid chat, pettiness, phone calls, and some serious stuff too. At 17, Eden's End. It's a radio murder mystery from Sean Williamson, who you'll know as Barry from EastEnders. When EastEnders started, we only had four TV channels in most parts of the country, and your wedding got more viewers than a royal wedding, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, they're all very excited about the figures for Harry's wedding, but I think we got 7 million more, we got 20 million on... uh, What it was, it was Millennium Eve, it was a double wedding, it was Tamsin Althwaite's character and Ian Beale, and myself and Lucy Speed, who played them... My, my wife in it and uh, there was a lot more going on to it than that there was all sorts of skullduggery happening on the square and so it was a big episode New Year, Millennium Eve Sean Williamson and his new podcast The Murder Mystery Eden's End is number 17 this week you can hear it on podcast radio at noon on weekdays 
Number 16 is NHS Couch to 5K, a running plan designed to get complete beginners from being a couch potato to running 5Ks in nine weeks. At 15, Pilot TV Podcast, which features Boyd Hilton. It's from the creators of the Empire Film Podcast, and it's your spoiler-free guide to essential new shows dropping each week. Boyd joins me now on Zoom. This week there was a lot of fuss when UK TV dropped an episode of Faulty Towers because of racism and then put it back on again. What did you make of all that? Well, I think this is a very specific case um, of this episode because people are getting a bit confused. So it's not the fact that this is the episode where Bass Forty does the silly walk and, and makes fun of the Germans and talks about the war. It's, it's not that, that episode. It is the episode. No, it is the episode. But the element of the episode that is considered to be unacceptable is that the major has lines of dialogue where he says a racist, uses racist, racist terms. I th- is so, he talking about cricket? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I know what you mean. And yeah. he does actually, he does he actually does. use racist terms. So, yes. and what's, what seemingly what's happened is years ago, like I think three or four years ago, the BBC, because the BBC repeats 40 Towers itself, you know, it was repeated on BBC Two every now and then. And they actually removed those words from the episode, just those words, yeah. keeping in the, all the scenes with, with John Cleese's approval. And somehow the version that UK TV's had in its, you know, in its online portal, if you like, has include did not include those edits so they should have edited them out anyway really so the official version that should be watched now as far yeah. as john cleese is concerned yeah. doesn't have those racist words in it and i think it's also been on netflix the unedited version so i think it's just a case of editing those words i remember watching that episode honestly when i'm not saying myself as any kind of you know prodigy or anything but i watched 40 tales when it first was broadcast and i was probably eight nine years old and I remember the episode being uncomfortable viewing them because it's also got Basil Fawlty being racist as well. Um, Has you know, it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and um, that's but that you know I think it's it was clearly depicting racism as a bad thing. Yeah. You know. So I, I think yeah. that you know I think it's I think it's fine. You know who are, um you know we're white guys talking. I'm, I'm sure yeah. you know some people may be offended by the episode by other elements of the episode but i don't think there's any great question that anyone is calling for the whole episode to be banned forever right i see yeah well it comes on the back of a lot of people apologizing for blackface um yeah keith lemon uh, anton deck have have apologized i'm not sure if uh, little britain have yet whether david Williams and co have but they 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 were involved as well weren't they in blackface They said again a while ago that they, if they were making the show now, they wouldn't do they wouldn't do those characters. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do Do you agree with with that then? That maybe because because Ant and Dex has been pulled from the streaming yeah. service that it was on. I forget what it was. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. I think look, I think we're. By the way, I think generally, you know, the main, you know, this seems a slightly trivial element of the whole Black Lives Matter movement. You know, this whole thing that's arising at the moment, you know, I don't think, you know, edit e- episodes of Faulty Towers and Bo Selector are the main, you know, or any kind of subject that the Black Lives Matter movement, I think they've got bigger fish to fry, you know, I think yeah. racism yeah. generally, you yeah. know, and representation and, you know, the, the police brutality, these are all big issues. Yeah. And I think this is a smaller issue. I still think it's important because I still think if, I still think white comedians white people in general using blackface you know which goes back to the black and white minstrel show and hollywood in you know decades ago and that is a racist thing to do intrinsically for white performers to don 
black makeup like that. Now, I don't want, you know, there's the nitty gritty of is the League of Gentlemen involved and is that character actually a black character? I don't think it was. I think that was actually about a white person using black makeup. You know, people are talking about Ali G and that was always actually, that's a white character, you know, yeah. kind of using, you know, urban culture, speak, if you yeah. like, culture. And it was, a, and actually that was really a satire on white people trying to be more urban, <laughs> trying to be black, if you like. Yeah. So these are the complicated issues. And Anton Deck were doing, you know, were doing, that's one, you know, there were scenes where they, they you know, they did, disguised themselves in heavy makeup yeah. and they did unwisely, I think, you know, use ethnic characters, you know. And so I th generally I do think it is offensive. It's an offensive thing to do. And, I, and as I said, I think the little Britain guys wouldn't do that now. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, and, and, and people will be offended by it because it is fundamentally ludicrous for white people to, 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 to play black characters. But there are little just nuances of detail, if you like, in the general sweep of people assuming that all of these things are the same. Not, you know, they're, yeah. they're not all necessarily the same. They're not all the same as the Black and White Minstrel Show. But, you know, I'm, I'm just, we're white people talking about it again. Yeah. And I do, think, I do think quite rightly it's wrong. And no one now, if you're making a show now of any kind, yeah. if you're thinking, and I don't think anyone will, because it would be idiotic, but to don blackface for a white performer is not acceptable. Absolutely. Yeah, and the thing is, if somebody says they are offended by something, you can't argue with that. If they're offended, they're offended. Right. And you shouldn't right. go out to offend people. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah, I'm sure they weren't when they made those shows. That wasn't the idea of it, but that's if that's what's happened, sure. well then it, it's time to backpedal. It makes me wonder because if putting on blackface to make fun or ridicule people who are of colour or whatever the politically correct way to describe that is, because we're all worried now, is something like Harry Enfield and the Scousers sketch. I know that is very offensive to people in Liverpool. It is. And mm. it's probably just, a, I, I would argue that maybe it is just as offensive to people in Liverpool as it is for people of colour to see someone in blackface, whether that could be the next step. Well, I think I would say, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're right that, 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 that the use of that stereotype is offensive to people in Liverpool and absolutely fair enough. You know, if I, you know, I'm Jewish, I'm very alert to anything that I consider to be anti-Semitic. And, there, you know, there are many examples in the history of culture and art and entertainment of things that I consider to be blatantly anti-Semitic and, and I wouldn't be happy about. But I do think racism is complicated and it's all about power relations as well. I think you have to bear in mind, you know, I think there's a difference between Harry Enfield um, making fun of other white stereotypes. And I do think a lot of these cases, and I think Harry Enfield is part of this, is all about satirizing stereotypes to some extent. You know, I, I think they, um, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly more complicated than just saying, I don't think he was ever saying about any of his characters, you know, the shows that he did with Paul Whitehouse and Kathy Burke, you know. And, and uh, Little Britain, this goes for a little bit as well. Well, in fact, to a large extent, these are all shows, sketch shows, interestingly, where the main cast, if you like, are performing all kinds of types and they really are. And that's a lot of comedy, particularly sketch comedy is, you know, using stereotypes, poking fun at stereotypes and often satirizing stereotypes. And there's a very fine line, isn't there between, yeah. you know, was Harry Enfield um, making, exposing a stereotype about people from Liverpool or was he just making fun of people from Liverpool? Now I'm, I, I now I'm not from Liverpool. I don't know. I happen to think, I don't think Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse are, racist or you know were, were making fun or, or, or were seeking to insult people from liverpool or you know anything like that but equally 
again, if they were doing these shows now, if you're doing these shows now, you have to be more sensitive perhaps than people were 10, 15, 20 years ago about playing with stereotypes. You have to be very careful. You have to, I think you have to make it crystal clear yeah. that you're satirizing and commenting on the act of stereotyping yeah. rather than being stereotyping yourself, rather than being racist or bigoted or, you know, or, or making fun or generalizing about people from Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if I, if I think of, of, of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and he says something, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember exactly, but he said he hopes that his children are judged by their character rather than the color of their skin. And I think that's what the area that they get into is, is a prejudice. If you're saying, if you speak with this accent, then you are this kind of person. And, right. you know, a lot of people from Liverpool are described as thieves because they sound that way. Well, that clearly is <laughs> exa oh, just, just yeah. exactly the same as a racial stereotype. And I also wonder if now that the blackface is a thing, if you look at, say, something like, you know, Lee and Dean, did you see that show on Channel 4? Yeah. There's two yeah. middle-class comedy writers and performers dress up as working-class people with hard hats and high-vis jackets and, and make them look pretty silly. And I wonder if you could argue that that's almost well, a, a, a blackface for working-class people and people who work in trades and, you know, blue-collar people. I don't know. I don't know whether we're into a, well, a really tricky area. I think you have to yeah. No, I think it's interesting. I think you have to get into the integrity. Fair enough. Middle class people, look, middle class white people have to be able to portray working class white people. I think, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem particularly, as I say, I'm Jewish with non-Jewish actors playing Jewish people. You know, it's fine. I'm fine with it. A lot of people think that, you know, gay actors should only play gay characters. That is a thing. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. It's absolutely unacceptable, as we've already, as we've said, I think we've clearly established for white people to play black characters. Yeah. But these things are nuanced. And I think with Lee and Dean, I, I don't think they are taking the piss out of them for being working class. I actually think they're portraying, it's all about deepening our understanding of those characters. And that, you know, there were, I think, what, two series of that show, yeah. six episodes, yeah. 12 episodes. Yeah. And I think you grew to love them. And I think, you know, and um, I think that's the difference, I think, between, you know, a stereotypical portrayal. I think it's different from a stereotypical portrayal of a group of people. You know, the phrase punching up and punching down. I don't think Lee and Dean are punching down and taking the piss out of working class. I just don't think that's what they're I don't know, Boyd. They didn't exactly champion the working class in the same way that shows like Boys from the Black Stuff or Alvida Sane Pet did. And as a former air conditioning engineer and pipe fitter who worked on construction, I found Lee and Dean pretty offensive. It's the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack, and this is the countdown of the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Number 14, it's The Froth, with the married comedians Rod Gilbert and Sean Harris and Friends, the podcast that's a spa break for the mind, far away from the depressing news cycle. At 13, no such thing as a fish. The writers of QI huddle around a microphone and discuss the best things they've found out this week. Let's check back in with this week's guest, Sean Williamson. We all know you as Barry from EastEnders. You're also a quiz junkie. What podcasts do you listen to? I'm enjoying, again, things like Desert Island Discs. I'm going back into the archives, really. I, lo I love history, so I, I will be. I'm just finishing off this book that I've written. So I've, I've, at least I've had something to keep me 
busy during lockdown. I've been very lucky. I've done a few jobs via the old media of, you know, home taping adverts and things like that. Yeah, I'm going to be listening to a lot of historical stuff and stuff that's going to help my quizzing knowledge because right. we've still got the Grand Prix. Although the, the, the quizzes I'm doing now have been what's called virtually proctored. You have to tune into the quiz site. Yeah. Because we, we join a league, you see. We're in something called a Grand Prix League. Right. So the first Saturday of every month, we do the Grand Prix. Paul Sinner's in it, Anne Hegarty, Kevin Ashman, Pat Gibson. It's at the very highest level. and uh, But then they're now being virtually proctored. So, that's, so the quiz season is still going, albeit from home. So you've got plenty to do. As Catherine Hepburn once said, <laughs> there's a million books I haven't read and a million films I've never seen. So there's always something to do. Sean Williamson, and he's been doing Eden's End, his murder mystery podcast. You can hear it at noon on weekdays on Podcast Radio. Back to the chart now, and at number 12, Something Rhymes With Purple. Susie Dent and Giles Brandreth invite you to enhance your vocabulary, uncover hidden origins of language and share their love of words. At number 11, The Infinite Monkey Cage, an irreverent look at the world through scientists' eyes with Brian Cox and Robin Ince. Back to Sean Williamson now, who played Barry on EastEnders for 10 years. In 2004, you left the show. Why was that? Well, because it, it, it wasn't like today when you see people on Strictly Come Dancing or in the jungle and then suddenly they go straight back into the show again. Yeah, uh, there were very few opportunities to do anything different, and I'd given it ten years. And um, it, in the end, I, I booked a job. It just happened to be a panto; could have been anything. And uh, the, the press made a great deal of that. But at the end of the day, uh, I just felt it was time to do something else, and that just happened to be the first job. And then, luckily, someone called Mr. Ricky Gervais phoned me up. Well, that was something else, extras, because you got to send yourself up, which everybody loves people who don't take themselves too seriously but you got to work with the likes of david bowie i mean how cool was that yeah that was great so what happened was the first series i was in the office with Stephen merchant as his dog's body uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it i was playing a comically unemployable version of myself my agent even my agent called me barry because he couldn't remember my real name <laughs> check it out it's great comedy so all my scenes were in the office with ricky and Stephen, which was great but it meant we filmed them in two, three days. So um, when the second series dropped on the map, I was in all sorts of scenes away from the office and, and in the episode with David Bowie. So that was great. What's the process of getting something like that? Does Ricky Gervais call you personally or does your agent put you up? Well, he, he did. You're not supposed to. <laughs> ah, OK. He just phoned up and said, do you want to be in it? So by the time you've agreed that with him, your agent's got no leverage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You can't say, well, he might do it. Yeah. If you've already said, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> John Williamson. Number 10 on this week's chart is 1619 from the New York Times. Great podcast, this. In August 1619, a ship carrying more than 200 enslaved Africans arrived in the English colony of Virginia. America wasn't America yet, but this was the moment it began, and no aspect of the country that was formed has been untouched by the 250 years of slavery that followed. On the 400th anniversary of this fateful moment... This podcast tells the story. 1619 from the New York Times, number 10 this week. At nine, it's Happy Place from Fern Cotton. Fern talks to incredible people about life, love, loss, and everything in between, and reveals what happiness means to them. I'm Graham Mack, and my guest on the Pod 20 this week is Sean Williamson, who was Barry in EastEnders. He's got a podcast out that's a radio drama, a murder mystery. It's called Eden's End. And, Sean, in 2001, 
You were surprised on the set of EastEnders by Michael Aspel with his big red book on This Is Your Life. What was that like? Well, of course, you, you, you're not a part of it. You, you just trust everybody else to uh, to get everybody there who, who you'd like to be there, really. <laughs> so so, you, li- so you had um, no idea? Because I always wonder if people are faking it when they... Not a clue, got really. A clue. Wow. I, I assume... I, I, I reckon some people do find out by accident because they wonder why their wife or husband are taking... Uh, phone calls in the corner of a room and suddenly hang up when they enter the house. Yeah. In fact, I think it was Ronnie Barker, famously, who had to challenge his wife to ask why she kept hanging up when he entered the room. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember. I think he ended up cancelling it because she told him, I think. Really? I think so. Anyway, uh, it, it'll be on Google. Yeah. Um, so, But anyway, yeah, it was a pleasant night. It was lovely. Uh, but th- that is the weird part. It's, it's nothing to do with you. And it's, it's almost quite a relief when it ends because it, it really does put you on the spot. Yeah, on the spur of the moment, of of course, and uh, I would it hate ends, it. I don't know. I don't know why people go through with it. I would go like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. <laughs> I really don't know. I think two people famously did. Uh, Richard Gordon, who wrote the uh, Doctor in the House books, and Danny Blanchflower. Did he the footballer? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. But um, afterwards, it was great. Aspel, total gentleman, stayed there till two in the morning, making a fuss of my mum and my nan, and you know, my late dad, my late nan, and you know, it was great. And 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 if you watch it. You know, it's an incredibly unstarry tribute. All of my friends from childhood were there, so great. It's great. Sean Williamson and his podcast is called Eden's End. It's a drama, a murder mystery. You can catch it at noon weekdays on Podcast Radio. Back to the chart now. The countdown of the top twenty podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number eight. Truth versus Hollywood. This podcast takes a critical look at the real story behind popular films that are based on true stories. Number seven, it's the Michael Harrison rap with Michael Harrison. Catch that 8am and 4pm on podcast radio on Saturdays. Michael is the publisher of Talkers magazine, which is the Bible of talk radio in the USA. Michael, talk radio in America, particularly on AM, is full of presenters who lean to the right of politics. You've got Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Michael Savage. But TV has more liberal-leaning talent like Bill Maher, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert. Why is that? This is the way the deck has been shuffled and this is the way the cards have fallen. It, it, it is that way because that's the way it is. You're absolutely right. One of the things that European and non-U.S. audiences don't always understand when I'm, when I'm having this conversation on an international stage is that it's not unfair. A lot of people, I'll be interviewed by the BBC, well, not lately because they're, they're hipper to it, but they'll say, how is it possible that someone like Rush Limbaugh could have four hours a day, three hours a day on the air without any other point of view and can just, you know, to the largest radio audience in America, you know, spew all of this biased conservative information? And the answer is, if he were talking to a majority of the people listening to the radio and he had that and there were only four stations, yeah, well, maybe we have a problem. That goes back to the, you know, the the, the act of somewhere in the 1930s with, with fairness and, and the public airwaves and that it's a limited resource, a precious resource. But that's not the case anymore. The fact of the matter is, is that all of these audiences, because American broadcasting is so massive, there are so many stations, so many outlets so many ways that different kinds of programming can get to their audiences that it's fair. It doesn't dominate. 
uh, the way ra- any radio station does in, in many other countries that don't have that large and fully developed a spectrum of outlets. And that's the answer. So it isn't as unwholesome and unnatural and biased as some people think, because all you got to do is turn off the radio and you'll find something that you like. I suppose it could be argued that even in the UK where we have very few talk stations or stations where people get to have an opinion, with the internet, everything is available. So maybe the spectrum really is there. It's just not there on FM or DAB anymore. Yeah, but then again, FM and AM are declining 20th century platforms. They hardly have the cachet or the weight that they did maybe in our memories maybe culturally we still think of it you know as radio but people don't even know they're listening online they think they're listening to the the radio and one of the problems that stands in the way of radio making a living in 2020 is that the ratings haven't yet figured out the rating services which are so crucial to selling advertising they haven't figured out how to make the apples of on air uh, mesh with the oranges of online. And that's one of the things that the uh, industry is uh, transitioning through right now to come up with a way of getting what's called metrics uh, in, in a manner that everybody can agree on. Getting back to the talent, American talk radio talent. We lost Don Imus not that long ago. Rush Limbaugh has major health issues. Michael Savage is 78. Sean Hannity, Dave Ramsey and Mark Levin, who you mentioned earlier, they're all around 60 years old. Even Howard Stern is 66. Where are the young talkers? They're um, on the Internet. They're on YouTube. um, There are some young talkers. I'm I'm not going to get into a whole thing about who the young ones coming up are because then they'll wind up, people will be angry at me for not mentioning their name and I don't want to anoint anybody the new king. So let me speak in in general terms that are still, that, that answer your question. First of all, when you're on the radio every day for three hours, you'd better have, you'd damn well better have life experience. If you're just a young guy or young gal coming on and doing your razzle-dazzle, it won't last very long in today's lifestyle and today's information-laden culture. So being 60 years old or 70 years old is not necessarily a deficit when it comes to being on the air for hours every day. You got to know what you're talking about. You've got to have some life experience. That's one thing. Secondly, where are they there are some young ones coming up, and, and it's not like it's only those handful of old people. There are many, many, many people in talk radio in America. Back to what I said, there are many outlets. There are just many, you know, we have a heavy hundred every year, the, he- the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America, and a case can be made that there are thousands. So out there, there's a lot of activity that an observer of the radio scene in America won't see because the big guys get all the credit. They get all the attention. They get all the the buzz. But in in terms of uh, the grassroots, there are a lot of different uh, demos uh, playing in the game and and being served. Again, when you look at it under the microscope, it's not as one-dimensional as it may appear. But I I don't think that the the age of the players at this point uh, marks the end of of the era. I think it will continue. I think that there will be talk shows, forums, you know, conversation 
will be part of media forever because it is it is such an intrinsic part of the human condition i mean that's what we are as a species we're the tool making talking animal we we make tools which is our technology and we talk that's that's how we communicate we might make faces and we might have costumes but we talk and and that's going to continue and you can hear Michael Harrison talking in the Michael Harrison rap at 8am and 4pm on Saturdays on Podcast Radio. The podcast version of the Michael Harrison rap made it to number 7 this week on the Pod 20. At number 6, it's Desert Island Discs. This week's castaway is the fitness trainer and author Joe Wicks. At number 5... Last week's number one, About Race with Rennie Edo Lodge, from the author behind the best-selling Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. It's a podcast that takes the conversation a step further. My guest podcaster this week is the bloke behind the Murder Mystery podcast that's called Eden's End. It's Sean Williamson. He played Barry in EastEnders. Sean you're also a cabaret star and took a break from EastEnders in the early 2000s to do that. Yeah, Barry went to prison for setting a light to the car lot. So I, I, I wasn't even sure if I was ever going back. So I was out of, out of there for six months. So yeah, I started doing cabaret and, and I used to um, do a lot of cabaret at the casino rooms in Rochester for a friend of mine, Aaron Stone. And I ended up just catching the last golden days of cabaret. I, I compared for um, Roy Chubby Brown, Jim Davidson, The Drifters, David Essex, you know, uh, Mike Reed. You, you had an interesting time with Mike Reed, didn't you? Yeah, I, 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 I went out before him and accidentally told one of his jokes. So, uh, <laughs> he, 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 you know, uh, uh, he, he, he had a word with me. <laughs> Which wouldn't have been too bad if you didn't have to then go and work with him on EastEnders. Well, I already had because right. I, I, burnt, I burnt down the car lots to get rid of the Frank characters. Yeah. So he already knew me, but the, and then when I went back again, we, 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 were, we were great chums. He was a wonderful guy. I mean, he didn't suffer fools gladly, but he, he was a lovely fellow and very generous of his time. And he, he forgot all about that blip in our relationship. <laughs> and uh, he gave me some great pointers, you know. And um, to this day, I'm still doing it, or, or not at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah, because of the, the blinking lockdown. EastEnders is famous for the, uh, the doof, doof, doof. Did you ever get any of those? I got quite a few towards the end uh, when things were really heating up. Yeah. Uh, I desperately wanted one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I probably only ended up with five. I'm, I'm not a Mitchell brother, you know, but, um, you know, it was great when, when you had one. It was always a very confused uh, um, looking Barry saying, I've done it, I've got it wrong again. <laughs> Sean Williamson and his murder mystery podcast is called Eden's End. Catch it at noon weekdays on podcast radio i'm graham mack and this is the pod 20 the countdown of the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at the podcastradio.co.uk number four this week is the joe rogan experience from the king of podcasts joe rogan and at number three clear and vivid from friend of the show alan alder alan you played hawkeye pierce on mash for 11 seasons the show has constantly been in reruns around the world since it finished in 83 what do you think of MASH now? Well, I don't see it much. I hear it's really good, but I haven't seen it in a while. But I'll tell you the thing that does strike me. It's a great compliment, but it seems so odd that people who weren't born when we went off the air have discovered it, including 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, even younger. 
and 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 that that's a, it's a very nice feeling because what, that means what we did has a lasting value. It didn't just appeal to the people at that short period in history. Yeah. So I'm I'm very I'm very uh, proud of it. I'm, I'm very happy. It changed my life, and it changed the lives of all of us who did it. So of course we're we look back on it with great fondness, and we all were became friends. I lived in New Zealand. I was 19 in 1983, and the show was was huge there. And so what they did was when it finished, they decided to just start again at the beginning. And they showed every episode from the start at six o'clock every night, just before the 6.30 news. And I lived with my parents. And if one of my friends would ring between six and 6.30, I'd say, tell them, my mother would answer the phone. I'd say, tell them to call back when MASH is finished. And everybody knew. Did you have any idea when you were making it, the impact that it would have? Like, especially at the very beginning. No. Well, at the very beginning, it wasn't doing very well in the ratings. Out of 78 shows... We were like number 76, not number one. And they were always talking about the top 10. So I used to tell people, we're in the top 78. <laughs> yeah. But you were definitely the top one by the time the, the, the final episode. Uh, pr uh, probably, yeah. That was the most watched show uh, of that kind uh, ever to happen. So that was, that, that was a tremendous surprise. The night it was played... I mean, we knew we knew we were doing good work and that people appreciated it. But the night it was played on television, we watched it at the studio on a big screen. And then we drove to a restaurant. And I said to Loretta Swit, Loretta, look, there are no cars on the street. This is ordinarily a busy hour. Half the country was home watching the show at the same time. So it was it was an extraordinary experience. None of us expected that. I love the way that the show changed over time when well obviously when you started writing and, and directing some of the episodes and it became more dramatic and it it had more of a point of view no i don't think so i i think it's a sort of an internet myth that i got more control of the show i i did write a lot and i directed a lot but the producers were always in charge so major changes were all they're doing and and uh I, I, you know, I would express an opinion, but it wasn't always accepted. So it, it's not, you know, any, any changes people see in the show, good or bad, are really not, not due to me, except whatever quality of each individual episode I wrote had, which I'm, which I, I, once in a while I can remember what I wrote and I'm, I'm very pleased with it in most cases. How about censorship back then? Because it started in 72. Did that change as the series yes. went along? Could you get away with a lot more? Yes. It turns out that forbidden words are not so forbidden if you're really popular. <laughs> <laughs> Which is counterintuitive. You think you'd be able to get a, away with more when, when hardly anybody's watching it, wouldn't you? When nobody's listening, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in one of the first few shows, Radar had a line in which he said, uh, I, I don't know about that, sir. I'm a virgin at that. With no sexual meaning. It just meant he was unfamiliar with the subject. The censor said, you can't say the word virgin. So Larry Gelbart, the head writer, was really upset at that. So he wrote a line in the next show that he knew they couldn't take out. I say to a kid on a stretcher, where are you from, son? He says, the Virgin Islands, sir. <laughs> 
did it become a bit of a game then to see what you could get in? It was a, a morbid game because sometimes you needed the the juice, the sauce of a word that really has no no repugnance to it. It's common talk, but they they were fastidious. I mean, so fastidious that in one show, there's it's the show that I wrote. There was a jock strap on a table. Do you use that word over there, jockstrap? Yeah, we, we know what that is, yeah. Okay. So Loretta comes into the, uh, Margaret comes into the tent and sees it and says, how dare you parade that thing before me? Well, the centers were more fastidious than she was. They said, not only can you not have a jockstrap, you can't even have a white piece of cloth representing a jockstrap on the now this this to, to show the sexism at the same time of the rampant uh, censorship in many shows i had walked through clotheslines or the equivalent shot of this walking through clotheslines filled with women's brassieres and panties <laughs> but a man's intimate apparel is somehow sacred and you can't show that that's that's forbidden so the whole thing was silly. The funniest story I heard about censorship on MASH, and maybe you can confirm whether it's true or not. I'll tell you where I heard it. You know Ken Levine, one of the writers on yeah, MASH? He has a sure. great podcast called Hollywood and Levine. And he told this story about apparently there was a, a visiting general or something, and the colonel said, uh, take this man to the VIP tent. And the line was supposed to be, Radar was supposed to say, right this way, your VIP-ness. <laughs> and that, and that they got I, it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about that. Which I think should be fine because, first of all, penis isn't a swear word. And secondly, if kids are so young they don't know what it means, they're not even going to hear it. They'll write this way, your VI penis. So it just shows how touchy they, they, they could have been. So you, if, if he had said, write this way, your, your vagina, that would have been allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the on, on the the precedent set over the jockstrap and the knickers, yeah, exactly. It's funny though when TVNZ started showing them from the very beginning. I think it was the first five or six episodes. There was an extra doctor in the swamp, and his name has a racial connotation. Oh, that was one of the first couple of episodes. Yeah, that or maybe yeah, only. It the seems that they could get it. They could get away with that. I mean, I'll say what it was, and it, it might be offensive to some people, but he was called Spear Chucker Jones, and he was a, he was a black character. Yeah, but that and, seemed okay. That was, yeah, other things. That was taken, as all the names were, from the uh, the book, the original book, yeah. and also the original movie. Uh, yeah. And it is offensive, and and it, and it it disappeared partly because they put so many characters in the pilot in a way, I guess, to see which ones were promising for f uh, further stories. And then they realized they had to prune and get it down to a manageable number, and a number of the characters were dropped, including that one. Right. It's Alan Alda, and his podcast, Clear and Vivid, can be heard on podcast radio at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. The podcast version is this week's number three. At number two, it's Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. Which brings us to the top of the chart. Number one this week, he's back after a week off at number three. It's Louis Theroux and Grounded. His latest guest is the Premier League footballer and Watford captain Troy Deeney. 
That's it for episode 8 of the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack, and thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Sean Williamson, Boyd Hilton, Alan Alder, and Michael Harrison. If you'd like to watch extended Zoom chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. My guest next week is the controversial broadcaster from LBC, Ian Dale. There's a lot going on right now, Ian. What are you personally looking forward to? Um, what I'm looking forward to is some degree of normality returning. Um, will it ever return? Will we have to live with coronavirus forever? I, I don't know. Um, uh, what I'm not looking forward to is stepping on the train for the first time to go back to London. I, I'm not an anxious person, but that I think is going to be quite a big moment. Um, I d- having not been to london for 78 days i can't say that i'm in a rush to go back even though i do want to go back into the studio the thought of actually every day now going to london hasn't got a lot of appeal to me and i think a lot of people are reevaluating their entire lives in a way um employers who maybe before wouldn't have trusted their employees to work at home now find that they can they're going to save a huge amount of money by not having so much office space in the future because i suspect instead of 12 percent of people working from home that will get translates to maybe 25 30 percent that's going to have a massive effect on huge numbers uh, of things um i'm looking forward to going back to watch football um that's not going to even though it's west ham yeah especially because it's West Ham, um, <laughs> even if it is in the championship next season. Yes. Um, and I, I th- I'm looking forward to driving. I love driving. Um, I've used my car up five times just to go up to the corner shop. And I, I do love driving. I want to um, get another car later in, in the year. Um, but at the moment, everything is just on pause and fine you can do a lot of things you can catch up on things on netflix that you, ha- you meant to see but haven't seen you can read a lot more uh spend a lot more time with the dogs and so there are lots of compensations for this but in the end um, i think we all just want to go back to what we would consider a normal life i want to go back to the restaurants that i like going to i feel so sorry for all the staff in the restaurants because they're going to be probably the last ones to have a normal life and i think when we do go back to a restaurant all the the cleanliness issues are going to be really difficult for people to cope with it's not going to be the the normal restaurant experience that that we all are used to Ian Dale, my guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast chart next week? Will Louis Theroux stay at number one or will he be knocked off again? Will your favourite podcast knock him off? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.